as we continue to preach through this wonderful book, this letter of Paul to the Roman church. And to kind of recap, Paul began in chapter 1 talking about the sin of the Gentiles, about those who refused to acknowledge who God was. They, they knew who God was, but they refused to acknowledge Him and honor Him and thank Him. And as a result, God gave them over to their sin. These are some of the most terrifying words we find in the Bible where it says that God gave them up. He gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to their dishonorable passions, and to their debased minds. And as a result, they were plunged into um, the total depravity of sin and to deal with the consequences. And then uh, last week, we saw where Paul went from the unbelieving Gentiles to the believing Jews and uh, those who are religious but hypocritical, those who point out the sin in others while they have sin of the same kind in their own life. And we are told, and, and the whole point is to show that none of us, none of us are without sin. And Paul, this morning, beginning in chapter 2 and verse 12, he talks about the law. There are many today who sit in churches Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and they hear the Word of God preached, they hear the gospel preached, and they walk out the door as if they've heard nothing. They live their lives as if um, because they're church members, they're special. Because they bear the name Christian, then they must be all right. And Paul here is going to point out to the Jew how that is just absolutely not true. Look at verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2. Paul says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers who will be justified. So Paul, uh, you know, in, in verse 11, he says, God shows no partiality. And since God is impartial, his judgment will be fair on both Jew and Gentile. If God judges according to the works because he is impartial, then it follows that Jews who transgress the law will be judged by the standard of the law. While Gentiles who sin without the law will be judged by a fair standard. And we're going to, to see that Paul is going to point out something here that, that is important that we all understand. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and that we need to understand that we cannot say, well, I'm a believer, so everything's all right. Many, many times throughout the scriptures, Paul admonishes us and Peter admonishes us to examine ourselves and see whether we are truly in the faith. And, and I would call on you this morning that we must do this regularly, a self-examination. 
Paul says, let a man examine himself. And we look at what's going on. And Paul here, these, these religious leaders, these, these Jewish people that Paul was talking to, here, they, they had refused to examine themselves. They had refused. They had just said, you know what? We're Jewish, and that makes everything all right. He's going to get more into that later on. He's going to confront them about that. But they said, we have the law. And Paul says, yes, you have the law, you know the law, you memorize the law, but you don't do the law. So it means absolutely nothing. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you this morning, you can carry the most, the most sophisticated study Bible that, that they make. You can memorize Scripture. But if you don't live it, you've done absolutely nothing. And this is what Paul is saying here uh, the, in verses 14 and 15. We'll get to here in a minute. They explain how this is fair to the Gentiles. But verse 13 describes the judgment for the Jew. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be uh, judged according to the law. So they will be justified. So since, since all who sinned are judged... Jews cannot be exempt just simply because they know the law. God repays everyone on the basis of that person's works, their deeds, their thoughts, and he repays us for what we do, whether good or evil. And the Bible consistently teaches this right here, and this is the crux of this message right here. What you believe determines how you live. In other words... Our faith must be translated into behavior. You say you believe in God. James tells us, he says, you say you believe in God? He said, good for you. So do the demons, and they tremble. Do you tremble before the name of God? Do you claim to know God? He says, just because you think you know God does not mean anything. It, our faith must be translated into behavior. And, and a believer does the law... We, we obey the law. We do good works, but these proceed from a heart that has been saved, a heart that loves God. We do not do these in order to be saved. We do these because we're saved. And this, is what the, this was the difference between the Jew and the Gentile that Paul talks about here. Uh, doers of the law are justified because God declares them righteous or justifies them when he sees the works that demonstrate our faith. When we get over to chapter 4, Paul's going to talk more about that and when he's going to show us about Abraham, where the Bible says that Abraham believed God and he accounted that to him for righteousness. But Abraham didn't just walk around and say, oh, I believe you, God, I believe you, God. When God called on Abraham, sake your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Abraham, he got up and he packed his stuff and he grabbed his son and he went. His faith was translated into behavior and what he does. And so Paul here, he's saying, he, he's getting rid of, this is what Paul is doing in chapters 1 and 2. He's getting rid of every excuse. You know, that there is no excuse that we can have before God. We can say, well, God, I knew who you were, but I refuse to acknowledge you because I didn't like the way you do things. And some will say, you know, I wasn't even sure that you existed. And Paul has already told us that God in creation is called natural revelation. 
that God has exposed every human being on this planet to his existence. So they will be without excuse. And then there are those who will say, well, you know, I go to church every Sunday and, and, and I don't do those kind of sins and all of that. So, yeah, Paul, you keep talking to them. And Paul says, hey, you're doing the same things. Jesus told the religious leaders when they, he would talk to them and they said, well, you know, we've never I've never committed adultery. And he said, well, if you've looked at a woman to lust after her in your heart, you're guilty. They said, well, we've never committed murder. And he says, well, if you've ever been angry with someone without call, he said, you're guilty of murder. So there, there, were, there is no excuse. There is no way out, no way around this. And then this is Paul's point. Paul is trying to show us that, that we are totally helpless. There is no hope, none. We are doomed without the gospel. And he's going to get to that part. But for the meantime, he's trying to show us because we have this idea and, and I find myself doing this. You find yourself doing this. And we must understand that this is absolutely not truth. We are not good people. We're just not. Everything I do to help somebody has an ulterior motive. Did you know that? By the way, so do you. Everything we do is for an old. It made me feel better to help them. Everything that we do has an ulterior motive. So we need to understand we are not good people. So in this case, it's important to differentiate between the doer of the law because we're saved and doing it in order to gain merit with God. This is what the Jew did. This is what Paul's confronting them about. You say that they said, we have the law, Paul. We know the law. And as long as we obey the law, then we have a good relationship with God. Is that truth? No. And that's what Jesus tried to tell his, the, the religious leaders time after time after time. That just because you know your Bible, just because you go to Sunday school, just because you teach Sunday school or preach or, or, or do anything in the church, it doesn't matter. It's completely irrelevant if you're doing it to gain God's favor. There's only one way to gain God's favor, and that's what Paul's leading to. And that's Christ. That's the only way we gain God's favor. That's the only way we gain acceptance with God. So when Paul commends the doers of the law, he echoes James. You know what? Turn with me to James chapter 1. A lot of, a lot of folks believe that Paul and James, what they teach, contradicts each other. But it does not. Paul and James are saying exactly the same thing. Paul is saying you are saved by faith apart from works. James says you are paid, saved by faith to do works. That's what he's saying. Uh, in James chapter 1... <clears throat> Uh, look here at verse 22 through 25. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. But notice what he says. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
They are both saying that Scripture is a mirror for our souls. We need to take more time and examine our thoughts and examine our deeds in light of Scripture in that we become doers of the law. If I get up in the morning and I look into the mirror and I say, hey, I need a haircut. But then I go on and I just let it go and I forget all about it. You know, and, and I'll tell Cindy, I'll say, oh, man, I really need to get a haircut. And I've even got to where sometimes I have to tell her, remind me, I need to go get a haircut. But see, we look into the mirror and we see what's there and we just go on about our business. And Paul says, that's what you, James says, that's what you do when you look into the word of God, how dangerous it is to look in there. And, and I want to tell you, this is the one of the main reasons why the Bible is carried by many and read by few. We don't like what it says. Someone has well said you can read any book in the world, but the Bible is the only book that reads you. We don't look into the perfect mirror of God's word because we don't want to see what it says. And, and this is what the Jews of Paul's day were guilty of doing and of Jesus' day. They would look into the word of God. They would say, well, we don't do this. We don't do this. And we don't do that. Physically, we don't do those things. But in their heart, Jesus said they were doing it. So they were not as innocent as they thought they were. So we need to spend more time examining our thoughts and our deeds in light of Scripture. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones one time said, Says that a man or woman who sits down with a pen and paper and an open Bible will find out what's wrong with him real quick. If you ever want to know what you're really like, open your Bible, get you a pen and a paper, and point out and write down everywhere you have failed to obey God. Everywhere you fail to obey Him, and you will find that your list will grow very long. All right. So so Paul here, he says that the Jews and the law, he says, so you have the law good for you. It does you no good because you don't obey the law. And none of us, we are all guilty of not obeying God's law. All of us. By the way, do you know what the law was for? The law was to expose our sin. The law was to show me that I'm a sinner. The law condemns us. The law has never saved anyone. It will never. It doesn't have that power. All the law can do is condemn us. But we're going to see how God used the law to bring us to Christ. That's what it does. Look at verse 14 and 15. <clears throat> so that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. How can God condemn a people who have no knowledge of Jesus or the Bible? I, have, I bet I have been asked that question as a preacher more than any other question. What about those who've never heard of Jesus? What's God going to do with them? And, and I think it was last week or the week before I pointed out to you. That's Jake. <laughs> Probably an accident. People ask me, what about those who have never heard the gospel? And I want to tell you something, folks, right here and right now. That innocent person anywhere in the world that has never heard of Jesus, that has never heard the gospel, when they die, they will go immediately into the presence of God. I can guarantee that. Here's the problem with that. 
There's no such person. There's no such person. Because, and Paul, that's the first thing that Paul pointed out, that even creation tells them there's a God so that they will be completely without excuse. So Paul answers that Israel had the written law and Gentiles have the law written on their hearts. We could say that Gentiles may be without the law, but they are not without law. When God created man, he planted a moral compass in man. It's called our conscience. The Bible talks a lot about that conscience and how our conscience can be seared with a hot iron and how we can get to where the more we ignore it, the more that we don't, we, we don't hear what our conscience says. But when God created us, he put that in there. He put in with every single person. Paul, notice what he says here over in verse 21 of chapter 1, for although they knew God, they knew God, but they failed to acknowledge him as God. Their conscience said, I mean, here's the thing. Every human being on earth has a sense of right and wrong. I don't care who you are. I don't care how small you are. I remember one time our little granddaughter was at our house. And I think we all got kind of looking for her and couldn't find her. Found her in a closet. Eating cookies she knew she wasn't supposed to have. But why'd she hide? I mean, she's only three years old. But she knew she had to hide to eat the cookies. Kind of reminds you of Adam and Eve, doesn't it? When God came walking, what did they do? They ran and hid. They, and so God has given all of us, Paul says, uh, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires because the law has been put on their hearts, they know the difference in right and wrong. Uh, the law is fully written on the hearts of unbelievers, but there is also an echo in unbelievers since that their, their conscience, Paul says, bears witness to God's will. Even the unsaved know that they will one day give an account to somebody. They will one day give an account their conscience. They give they they know right and wrong. The conscience is fallible and and once one can ignore it, but it does bear witness and a seared conscience leads to a hardened heart. And let me tell you how to do this. It's very easy. Okay? Let me tell you how to get your hearts hardened, how to get your conscience seared like a hot iron. Just ignore what God says. And next time he convicts you, ignore it then too. And the next time, ignore it then too. You just, and you can stand up here and you can hear the preacher and he can say, you know what, you need to confess and you need to repent. And you can say, well, I just don't think I need to do that. I'm going to wait and I'm going to do it later. Uh, you know, I guess one of the most popular things is for young people say, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to live my life. I'm going to sow my wild oats. And then later on, I'm going to give my life to Christ and I'm going to live for him. And I want to tell you that is a lie. That is a lie. But our conscience, the more that we ignore the word of God, the more that we uh, refuse to respond and be obedient to the word of God, the harder our heart becomes. And there comes a point to where God will convict us and we don't even hear it. And do you realize what a dangerous place that is? It's a dangerous place to be. When we first entertain the option of violating God's law, 
there will be an inter internal conflict beforehand and the guilt that comes afterwards. And, and, and I thought about this while I was preparing this message, how true, of course, we know it's true, but I mean, in reality, we see in the world today how true this is. That even the most hardened criminal on earth, when they do something wrong, they run and hide. You know why? Because they know it's wrong. So they have no excuse is what Paul is saying. They, you have no excuse whatsoever. We can say, well, I didn't know. Paul says, yes, you did. Well, I didn't know what to do. And he says, yes, you did. <laughs> and Paul says... Verse 15, that they show the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. How do you know whether your conscience is telling you the truth or not? For instance, I have a friend who's a church member another church. And he, he was telling me here a while back about a place that he went that I believe no believer has a business being at. And he said, but I felt no conviction. He said, the Lord was all right with it. He said, I, I just, he said, I was really surprised. He said, I thought I'd be convicted, but I wasn't. And I said, you know, that's not always a good thing. <laughs> that's not always a good thing. And his conscience was excusing what he was doing. You know why? Because it's what he wanted it to do. Do you want to tell you how to keep your conscience in line where it will, it will accuse you and excuse you in a biblical way is to keep your mind in the Word of God. This is why Paul says in chapter 12 that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. By the renewing of our mind. Look at verse 16. He says, On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. All right? I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> you got any secrets? Do you have any secrets? Do you have things that... Um, Nobody knows but you about your life. You know, we, we, we always talking about how we need to be very open in our relationships, especially between husbands and wives. That the husband needs to tell wife everything. Wife needs to tell the husband everything. But I'm going to tell you something. Not a single one of us does that. All of us have our secrets. But here's what Paul is saying. Paul, this ought to scare us to death. <laughs> Paul says... That the secrets will be revealed. Does that scare you? If you're unsaved, it should. If you're unsaved, it should. The conscience will accuse or excuse us in daily decisions. But verse 15 explains that the conscience speaks on the last day too. Everyone will be judged based on the light they were given. You see, the Jew had been given the law and they were going to be judged according to the law. The Jew Gentile did not have the law written for them, but on their hearts. And so they will be judged according to that. God is fair. When, when he said there in verse 11 that God shows no partiality, 
morality. It didn't just mean that God is no respecter of persons and that God's going to judge everyone uh, fairly. Uh, everyone, it meant that he's also going to judge everyone fairly. You understand that our judgments, our judgments are fallible. Our judgments are rarely fair. I can hear a dispute between two people. And they can come to me and say, we need you to help us with this. Tell us what to do. Tell us who's right. Tell us who's wrong. And I can promise you, no matter how hard I try, there's always aspects of this case that I don't know. That maybe I don't understand. There may even be some bias towards one of the, one of the two from my part. But with God, this is not true. There's nothing that is hidden from God. God knows everything. And God doesn't care who you are. For all have sinned and fall short, he says. God's judgment is just. For he has all the information and is perfectly clear. But we know that we violated God's law. We know that we have ignored our conscience. And that's what judgment day will be for. <clears throat> every one of us, every person knows and I, I, used to, I used to not believe this, but I do. Every person knows that one day they're going to give an account to someone. God's made sure we know that. Every person knows the difference between right and wrong. Every person we see in this world proves that. And Paul says... That when this judge, when we stand before him, he will be impartial. But this judge will forgive. And he will acquit every single person that trusts in Christ. Okay? Now, I paused right there for a reason. When I said that this God, this judge, will acquit and forgive every single person. There are churches all across America right now where that is being preached. And that's the end of the sentence. That are in Christ is not part of it. And that is the fallacy. And that is the shame of this. The judge will. So the Jews know the law, but they don't keep it. Therefore, they're condemned. The law brings knowledge of sin. Over in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, Paul says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Written law on Mount Sinai. Have you ever wondered why he gave them that? Did God not know we couldn't keep it? Did God not know that not one single human being except Christ could keep the law? Then why give it? Why give us something he knew we couldn't do? Why did he give us the law and say, do this and live? Break this and die. When he knew good and well, no one could keep it. All would break it. You know, we, we in Sunday school this morning, we were talking about Isaiah chapter 6, and Isaiah's who stand before a holy God. 
And there, there are the seraphim who, who cover themselves. They have six wings covering their eyes, their feet, and flying around in service to God. And they cry out daily, uh, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, holy, 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 constantly. They say this to one another, by the way. And here's Isaiah. King Uzziah had just died. Isaiah was devastated. He didn't know what's going to happen to the nation now because one of their greatest leaders is gone. And God is saying to Isaiah, you've got your eyes in the wrong place, Isaiah. But here's the thing. As Isaiah stood there and he sees this magnificent throne room of God, what's the first thing he notices? He noticed his own sinfulness. He notices his own sinfulness. And so God gives us the law, and he says, Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. When he knew we would do every single one of them. The very first commandment, You shall have no other gods before me. That is the first one that we break. If you break any of the others, you first had to break that one. And by the way, Paul tells us in another book that if you break one, you've broken them all. So we're all guilty. This is the point. This is the point. Before we will know, Paul, here's what he's saying. He says, I'm going to present to you the greatest news the world has ever heard about the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you the gospel that God has provided a way that we can be justified in his sight, that we can stand in his sight, that we can uh, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we can spend eternity in the presence of God. But you first got to realize how bad you need it. So he says that the day will come. He says the law will condemn us. The law brings, as we said, the knowledge of sin. And Paul is trying to tell us that there is nowhere to go. There is nowhere to run. There is nowhere to turn. Except Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you this morning, I want to echo the words of the Apostle Paul. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve the deepest, darkest corner of hell there is. But God has provided a way, and His name is Jesus Christ. And that is the only way. It is absolutely essential that I be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You see, the Jews were willing to stand before God in their own righteousness. And you know what the Bible says about our own righteousness? It's like filthy rags to God. As a matter of fact, it gets a little more graphic than that. But it says that our good deeds, our good works, our own righteousness is like filthiness to God. And we must be clothed in the righteousness of Christ so that on that day when every secret is made known in the judgment. You see, every secret I have will be made known, but I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. It's been covered. No one will know it but God. Because it's been covered by the righteousness of the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. What are you clothed in this morning? Whose righteousness do you wear? Do you wear your own righteousness before God? And he says, no, you cannot come into my presence like this. Uh, 
I, I can't remember the, uh, the man's name, and I hate to do this because I don't know exactly which book it was in. But one of the priests stood before God, and Satan was there to accuse. And Satan says to him, he says, God, this man can't be here. Look at him. He's clothed in his own clothes. He's filthy. He's dirty. And God says, don't worry about it. He says, take off your robe. And then God put another robe on him. He said, take off your turban. And God put another turban on him. And he says, now you're all right. Because I, I have clothed you. What have you been clothed in this morning? Our righteousness will not do. do. Please, ladies and gentlemen, please do not trust that you have a right relationship with God, that you will be all right, that you will be justified in God's sight because you're a good person, because we have found out we are not. Don't think that you will be justified in the sight of God because you have kept the law, because you haven't. Don't think that we will be justified by the, by, uh, in, in front of God because we are church members, because we carry Bibles, because we won't. I want to tell you that you can be the best neighbor you ever could be. You can memorize this Bible from Genesis to Maps. You can sing the songs louder than anybody else. You can attend every single prayer meeting there is, and you can die and go to hell because none of those things save you. Now, if you are saved, you will do those things. But don't do them thinking that that gains fair, uh, favor or merit with God. Our righteousness will not do. There is nothing that we need more desperately than someone who will cover us on that day. Someone who will stand and say, his sins are gone. Father, I took his sin and I bore it and I paid the price. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fall on my face in adoration and thankfulness and love for this one who would do this for me. We are not yet to the good news. Paul is seeking to bring the whole guilty world to before the tribunal of God. You know, that's actually what's going on here in chapter 1 and 2. We are all standing in a, in, in a vast courtroom. God the judge sits on the throne. Paul right now is playing prosecutor. And I'm standing there and God has said to me, why should I let you into my heaven? Why should I justify you? Why should I forgive you? And I have said, well, because I'm a good person. Paul says, I object. And then he shows me why that's true. And I say, well, because I've kept the law. Paul says, I object, Your Honor. He has not done that. And I say, because... I'm a morally upright person. Paul says, Your Honor, again, I object. He is not. He's guilty. And he deserves the maximum penalty. Death. Paul 
stands, but wait a minute, Your Honor. That's what he deserves, but he hasn't heard the best part yet. The best part is, even though he is vile, even though he is filthy, even though he is unclean, even though he is a sinner. And he points and he says, but there's the answer. And he points at Christ. He says, there's the reason. You see, Paul is bringing the whole guilty world before the tribunal of God so that we will stop giving excuses, so that we will shut our mouths, and so that we will believe the gospel. No person yet has ever truly believed the gospel who first did not understand their unworthiness of it. How guilty we are before God. And while we wait for the good news, we must tremble before the law of a just and holy God. What are you trusting in this morning? You see, uh, Paul says there in, in chapter 2, verse 1, there's no excuse. No excuse. Don't think that you're morally superior to, superior to anyone. Paul says, because you're not. He says, don't, don't think that because you know the law that you're justified before God, because you're not. By the way, Paul will go on later to tell us that by the works of the law will no flesh be justified in his sight. But there's a very good reason for that. It's because we can't do the works of the law. Now, we can go through the motions. This is what the Jews did. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Have you ever read in the Bible where it talks about a Sabbath day's journey? You know what that was? That was a, a, a set distance that you were allowed to go and come back home on the Sabbath day. And if you, if you went one foot farther than that, you were guilty of breaking the Sabbath. Now, that has nothing at all to do with what the Sabbath was about, but that's what they had done with it. But the law says you shall have no other gods before me. How many of us every single day of our lives don't break that? Every day of our lives. And all the rest of them, all ten of them, we break. You see, the, 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 ten, the ten Commandments, the law, this is the essence of who God is. And God says, you can't measure up. You can't measure up to my standard. But you need to know you can't measure up to my standard. Because, see, as human beings, as sinful, fallen human beings, we are prideful. We are arrogant. God, you know, even the children of Israel, while God was taking his finger and writing the Ten Commandments, they were saying, all that the Lord tells us we will do. Okay, now don't miss this. All that the Lord tells us we'll do. God's writing, you shall have no other gods before me. Build us a golden calf. All we'll do, Lord, you tell us what to do and we'll do it. And he says, okay, don't have any other gods before me. Okay, we won't, but we're going to worship this golden calf. By the way, we're going to give him your name. You see, we're all guilty. And this is what Paul is trying to show us. We live in a world where we are taught that, that, that all people are basically good. And we must get rid of that because it's not true. That's what total depravity is, that we are rotten to the very core of our being. Not one aspect of our life is untouched by sin. None. There is nothing that we have to present to God. Nothing. Like that beautiful song says, nothing in my hand I bring. 
simply to the cross I cling. This is all we have to bring to God is Christ. And if he says to me, why should I let you into my heaven? Why should I justify you? Why should I forgive you? All I can do is point and say, because of Christ. Father, because of what he's done and what he continues to do. I am only here because of him. I know I don't deserve this. I know that I don't merit this. But he does. And so, Father, save me for Jesus' sake. And, and it's, it's an interesting thing because as Paul is going to tell us later, as we stand before God and I point to Christ and say, He's my Savior. He's my Lord. I have trusted in Him. Lord, please forgive me. God says, done. No discussion. Done. But the key is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we come this morning recognizing that in and of ourselves we are nothing. Father, I pray that all who are here would listening would recognize that we are vile, sinful creatures. We are... <clears throat> People of unclean lips, and we dwell amongst people of unclean lips. There is nothing good about us. Nothing that should merit salvation. And everything that should merit death, eternal death. But Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Christ. The one who came and bore our sins on the cross. And Father, that if we will but look to him in faith... And believe in him, Father. And help us to understand that that belief will translate into behavior. That Jesus came to change lives. The gospel can do this. It has that power. To make us into new creations. So, Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord. As we go through this book of Romans and get closer and closer to Paul presenting to us the gospel that we may first see how desperately needy we are. And Father, that we might fully appreciate what Christ has done, for we ask it in His name.